It's great to be with you today. We're going to be looking at a passage from the end of John's Gospel as we start our new series, Jesus's New Normal. We're going to be, over the next few weeks, unpacking uh, two chapters from the end of John's Gospel after Jesus has died and been resurrected. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus institutes a new normal amongst his followers. And so without further ado, we're going to read together some verses from John chapter 20. And this is what it says. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and tell, but go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. There are times when we see the evidence of God at work in ours and in other people's lives around us. We see it in prayers being answered, in people uh, being healed. We see it in people finding freedom from things that have uh, bothered them, addic uh, they've been addicted to all their lives. And in days like that, church is really exciting. I remember back in the uh, early 90s and through to the 2000s, I saw and was part of a church that was thriving and growing. And we grew from around about 120 people and we grew to something like 450 people over the season through to the end of around about 2009. It was an extraordinary season. We saw numbers of people saved. We saw incredible new uh, uh, things started in the life of the church. It was such an impacting time. Mary lived through a season of excitement just like that. She was a, one of a group of women uh, who had followed Jesus. She'd had her own life-changing encounter. Her life had been messy. She'd lived her life with all sorts of noises going on and voices speaking into her head, and none of them were positive. And then one day, she met Jesus, and he set her free. We're told in Luke's Gospel that he set her free from seven demons. Since then, she had been devoted to him and a whole new life opened up for her she had great hopes for the future then all of a sudden 
Jesus' life comes to a sudden and unexpected end on a Roman cross just outside Jerusalem. The man she'd given up everything for was dead and buried. She was devastated. She hadn't seen this happening. And yet Jesus had known that this moment would come. It was God's plan being unfolded. He knew his death would be the beginning of, wouldn't be the beginning of the end, but rather it would be the end of the beginning. After his resurrection, Jesus knew that there would be a whole new normal for his followers. And as the passage starts, we find Mary has come to Jesus' tomb early in the morning. She's come to anoint his body with spices. But she finds someone has opened the tomb and taken Jesus' body away. It's no wonder we find her weeping. And in this moment, we see the power of disappointment. I don't know about you, but in times of bereavement, what I have seen over the years is they are full of incredible sadness as people are coming to the terms with the loss of a loved one. Sometimes, though, people are angry and frustrated, sometimes at uh, uh, the incident that's caused their loved one to pass away. But more often than not, they are filled with disappointment as the dreams they had for their future just have evaporated. Mary was disappointed. Jesus had promised so many things which now all seem to be dead and buried with him. She thought he would bring about change uh, in the nation. She thought that he was the Messiah, the one who would deliver the nation from Roman oppression. And suddenly, he's gone. He isn't who she thought he was, or so that's what it seemed. And as we come to the end of 18 uh, months, difficult, a difficult period, many of us are disappointed. We're left with questions. Why didn't God protect us from COVID? What's he been doing? People have died. Lives have been devastated. Church just isn't the same. Maybe we feel disappointed with God. Do the promises that we read in the Bible seem so unbelievable and unattainable? Maybe Jesus feels very distant to us. Maybe like Mary, we are emotionally wrung out. You see, the Greek word that we read in John's Gospel for Mary crying is better described as sobbing. Mary was overwhelmed with grief. The events of the previous days have had a profound emotional impact on her. Bruce Milne in his commentary says, It's not hard to imagine the enormous emotional strain which the last few days has placed on Mary, not least the anguish of having looked on Calvary. 
her tears were more than understandable. Are we emotionally wrung out? Do we find ourselves in this season getting angry at the slightest thing? Do we find ourselves crying for no apparent reason? Maybe we find ourselves emotionally shut down. Maybe we find ourselves frustrated uh, at all that we hear people saying on the news as people are arguing over all sorts of things and we just find ourselves getting increasingly frustrated. If we are feeling emotionally wrung out, God is going to speak to us today. You see, more than being emotionally impacted and damaged, Mary had lost perspective. Disappointment resulted in her losing perspective on what was really going on. You see, John is recording for us Mary's eyewitness account. It's her story. Mary saw and spoke with two angels, and yet she didn't bat an eyelid. You see, people who encounter angels are normally overwhelmed with fear. They're awestruck. That's what we see as we read through the early chapters of Luke's Gospel. They realize that as they, when they're seeing angels that something extraordinary is about to happen. And yet Mary just seems so indifferent. You see, when God starts to answer prayer and we feel indifferent and we're indifferent to what's going on, it's a warning sign that we have lost perspective. You see, Mary didn't grasp the significance of what was going on. When we read earlier in the same chapter, John goes into the tomb, one of Jesus' followers, he goes into the tomb and it says he saw that the body was gone, he saw the grave clothes and it says he believed. Mary saw the same thing and yet she didn't. She had lost perspective. She turns around. She sees Jesus. But she thinks he's the gardener. You see, disappointment can make us lose the wonder of the resurrection. We can miss the things that God is doing and fail to believe that God is at work behind the scenes in our lives. What about us? Maybe you're battling with disappointment at the moment. If so, God wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you just like he did Mary those 2,000 years ago. You see, Mary had one thing going for her. She still loved Jesus. Despite her disappointment, she's still looking for his body. He, we read, is still her Lord if we're struggling with disappointment today. I want to commend us for still gathering to worship Jesus. If you're disappointed and you're there worshipping in the midst of your disappointment, I want to commend you for doing that. You see, I want to say this. I want you to listen to this. Our willingness to seek Jesus in our disappointment is matched by Jesus' willingness to be found. 
and Mary encountered Jesus. Mary found Jesus in that moment and Jesus had a new normal for Mary. He had something for her that was very different to what had gone before. And I want to say, Jesus has a new normal for us. This new normal is based on Jesus knowing us. That's my first point this morning, Jesus knowing us. Like children playing on the beach, thinking we understand the sea. We're like that if we think that we know God. We're like children playing on the seashore. We, we see the sea, we think, yeah, I understand the sea, but we don't. We don't understand the depths and the tides and how it works. We don't understand so much of what goes on under the surface. And we are the same with God. We have merely scratched the surface in terms of what we know about God. God is vast and deep and wide and he is amazing and wonderful. And God wants us to know that uh, he loves us and we barely understand any of that and yet even though we don't understand him he knows us mary found out that jesus knew her she didn't she realized that she didn't know him anywhere uh, close to how well she thought she knew him and that's the story of so many in the New Testament. We read in Luke chapter 24 about two on the Emmaus Road who'd spent years with Jesus like Mary, and yet when he walks alongside them, they don't recognize him. We read of the disciples as they're fishing on the seashore. We read about that later in John's Gospel in chapter 21. These men are fishing and Jesus is on the shore and they don't recognize him. They have spent years with him and they still don't know him. Mary didn't recognize Jesus. Yet the good news of this story is this, that Jesus knew her. And in just the same way, I want us to know this morning that God knows us. He knows you and he knows me. You see, for God, this is personal. It's personal. Jesus, the Son of God, knew her name, Mary. He didn't say, hey you, you over there. He calls her by name. Who she is is important to Jesus. It's how God always deals with people. Remember the story of Moses in the Old Testament when God calls Moses out of a burning bush and catches his attention. He calls his name Moses, Moses. We read of how Samuel, as a young boy in the temple, God calls him and calls him in the middle of the night, Samuel. We read about Saul, who didn't even know God at that time, was fighting against uh, uh, Jesus and uh, the followers of Jesus throwing them into prison, and God meets him on the Damascus Road, and Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, who are you persecuting? God doesn't deal with us dependent on how much we know about him. Hallelujah. But he knows us. It's amazing. 
the God who made the heavens and the earth, who knows the stars and calls them by name. That's what we're told in Psalm 147. The same God knows us by name. God is never in heaven asking, Gabriel, who, who's that guy? Do you remember that person who prayed about? He's never doing that. He knows us by name. He never forgets our name. The 17th century Puritan writer Richard Sibbs wrote of this incident with Mary and he said this, Christ knows the names of the stars. He knows everything by name. He knows the name, he knows everything of a man, the very hair. He knows their parts and he, the hairs that grow out of one's head. He knew her, Mary. It's deeply meaningful when someone knows our name. It's equally upsetting not to be remembered. What about us? Maybe we battle with feelings of insignificance, of being overlooked, feeling anonymous to God. I want us to remember what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. We're not a reference number, an online profile, or a nameless face. The God who created the heavens and earth knows our name. Jesus calls her name and everything changes. She thought he was dead, but there's something about the way that this person said her name, the tone, the tenderness, conveyed deep love for us. For her. It resonated deep down and it recalibrated something in her soul, just like a tuning fork. The tuning fork, Jesus' voice was like a tuning fork, just recalibrating her soul to the one who made her. And her soul quickened at his voice as he called her name. And when Jesus calls us when we hear his voice speaking to us out of the word of God it resonates deeply in our soul he knows me he loves me it's why in John chapter 10 verses 3 to 5 it says this he calls his own sheep by name he calls us by name and we know his voice it was only one word but it was powerful. It was personal. God calls us by name. Jesus is calling you, he's calling me by name in this season. He's speaking to us, and when he speaks to us, it's profound. He's speaking to us, and he's calling us into relationship. The thing we need to know is that this is relational. For Jesus, relationship is everything. He didn't come to bring an ideology. He came to rescue people. He came to rescue people like you and like me. People that God loves. Through Jesus' 
death and resurrection, we read that he has brought many people to God. His aim is to create a new people, we read in Ephesians. One new people. Someone once said that knowing a name opens up the miracle of fellowship. You see, nameless greetings are not the stuff that families are made of. We're called, you and I are called to be part of God's family. And families want to meet together. Over this last season, we've been prevented from doing that. And a few weeks ago, uh, Annie and myself were able to gather together in one place with our son and our daughter and their partners, with Meg and Simon and Joe and Lauren. And we were able to be a family for the first time. We were the first time we were together in a room for two years. Families are made to be together, to gather together. We had missed it so much. And when we were together, it was, it was just that uh, the months fell away as we spent time and talked and just spent time in each other's company, listening to each other, talking to each other. If we need any convincing about gathering together as God's people, then here it is in this passage as Jesus speaks to Mary, calls her in relationship, into relationship. We can't be family in isolation. And over this last year, many of us have loved meeting together in small groups. And even though we've loved doing that, it's also time for us to gather together as one people. And to not lose sight of all that we've learned over this last year. I want you to listen carefully to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. And I'm going to personalize this passage. I see, I think it's easy to hear these verses. We listen to them. We've heard them many times before, perhaps. But we've missed the weight of the impact. But we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We are a relational people. We are called to be together as family, one new man in Christ. The early church were a relational people who found ways to be together, both in the big gatherings and also in small gatherings from house to house. And neither was more important than the other. Mary's one response to Jesus knowing her name was Rabboni, my master. She is overwhelmed that she is known by the Son of God. Are we overwhelmed that Jesus knows us personally? Or is the relationship just grown cold and distant over these months? Is he still our master? The one that we will follow anywhere, do anything for? 
or is he just one voice of many that we listen to? He knows our name. And finally, he knows our name, but Jesus sends us. You see, previously Mary had been on the fringes watching on. But after Jesus' resurrection, there was a whole new normal for her. Jesus had something that Mary was to do. And for us, coming out of COVID, there is also a new normal for us. Jesus has things for each one of us to do. We need to do what he wants for us in this season, not just do the same old things that we've always done. Of course, that might be exactly what he wants us to do, to carry on doing what we've done before. But we don't want to fall into the trap of just doing it because we've always done it. We need to hear him speak to us and lead us in this next season. This is a season of change. Whatever we do, we must do it in faith, knowing that God is with us and for us. Jesus sends Mary to tell his disciples, to speak to them. To go. He says, go and tell your, your, my brothers. Go and tell my disciples. That was a big deal in Jesus' day. A woman couldn't be a witness in law. Jesus cuts across uh, human rules and regulations. Jesus isn't bothered by our cultural norms. Mary is to go and tell. She's to go and tell them, I have seen the Lord. Each one of us, if you've had a personal encounter with Jesus, you have a story to tell about what Jesus has done in your life. And Jesus wants you to be the person who goes into their community, their workplace, their street, their neighborhood, and tell people, I have seen the Lord. This is what Jesus did for me. He knows my name. He knows me. He set me free. He has given me life to the full. And I want to tell you about it. You can know the same too. The message is the same for each one of us. Jesus sent Mary to tell his brothers that he loves them even though they've let him down. That's our message. We're to tell people that God loves them. Jesus loves them. It doesn't matter how they've lived, how, how much they've disappointed him and the things that they've done. Jesus says, go to my brothers and tell them. The truth was, Jesus' followers, his disciples, they weren't great brothers. Days before they'd abandoned him, Peter had even denied him. And yet Jesus still calls them brothers. Whatever we've done, however badly we've drifted, however much we feel we've let Jesus down, he still calls us brothers. He still loves you. He loves you. Mary takes a message of reconciliation, of bringing Back together, that's what reconciliation means. And she goes to Jesus' falls and say, Hey, Jesus calls you brothers. I want you to know that he still loves you. He's still for you. Imagine what that would have meant to Peter, the hope that would have risen in Peter's heart days after he had betrayed Jesus, let him down. 
disappointed him, denied him. In this season, we're to go and tell of Jesus' message of grace. We're to go to those who are undeserving and tell them that Jesus still loves them. And those who put their trust in Jesus come into his family. They're his brothers. Male and female, we are part of God's family. We are God's children if we put our trust in Jesus. And it's all based on what he's done and it's nothing to do with our efforts. He loves us even if we've let him down. Jesus is still the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Mary went and said to, her, uh, to Jesus' disciples, God is his Father. He says, Jesus, the Jesus' message is, I go to my Father and your Father. Jesus is saying, he's my Father. He's your Father. He is saying that he came from the Father. And he's come to them and he's shown and revealed the Father to them. He's come full of grace and truth. God has sent him to be the answer for their sin. The Bible says, the Bible word is propitiation. He's come to deal with our sin. Everything that blocks, gets in the way between us and God. Enables us to come to know God as a father. Jesus dealt with it on the cross. And God is no longer angry at our sin because Jesus has paid the price and now God accepts us as children of God. He is our Father. That's our message. That's the message of reconciliation that we carry in these days. God is our Father. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God can be our Father. And if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, He can be your Father today. The Bible is clear. He is, God is not like a Father. He is the Father. He is the everlasting Father, we're told in Isaiah. He can't be anything other than the Father. None of us can know the Father unless Jesus has revealed him to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jim Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do we know that God is our Father? Maybe our own experience of our human fathers has tainted what that means for us. This is a problem of pandemic proportions in our fatherless society after my own dad died when i was 27 god promised that he would be a father to me it was there in his word he spoke to me and said i'm going to be a father to you and that still lives with me 30 years on I'm still enjoying what it means to have a know God as my father, the one who loves me intimately, will never let me go. What about you? God wants you to know that he is your father. And if you don't know that, you can know that personally today by putting your trust in Jesus as the son of God. 
So as we come to a close this morning, are you struggling with disappointment? Are you emotionally wrung out? Have you lost perspective? Well, know this. God knows you. He knows you by name. He knows you personally. He knows everything about you. And he wants you to know that he wants to have relationship with you. And he wants that relationship to deepen and grow over the weeks and months and years. You can know God. You can have relationship with him through Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God is wanting us in these days to know that there is a whole new normal for us. He is calling us and sending us out with a message of reconciliation to a needy world.